Welcome to the AlphaList podcast. I am your host, Toby. AlphaList is a closed community with over 300 CTOs that share their knowledge and experience in a Slack space and at events. With this podcast, we want to give our members and interested parties insight into the thoughts and ideas of top CTOs. If you're interested in becoming a member of the community, visit alphalist.com to find out more on how to apply. This episode is kindly supported by Fastly, the biggest challenger in the CDN market. Fastly is pushing ahead the technical boundaries and is, from my perspective, the best solution on the market. Fastly is known as one of the key drivers of the Edge Cloud movement. In one of the next podcasts, I will talk to Tyler McMullen, Fastly CTO, about WebAssembly and the Edge. Well-known customers of Fastly are Shopify, The New York Times, Reddit, GitHub, and many, many more. If you want to try it all with first-class support, just go to fastly.com slash alphalist. Welcome to the Alphalist podcast. I'm your host, Tobias, and today with me is Peter Grosskopf. Uh, Peter Grosskopf is the CTO of Börse Stuttgart Digital Exchange, a guy that I know for 10 years, I would say. And uh, we finally met two years ago. So before then, we knew each other virtually, and I kind of followed him uh, because uh, he's somehow in the rail scene, and uh, yeah, um, like you follow each other in a way. Peter, I'm very proud to have you here today, um, and I'd like you to introduce yourself. Yes, thanks, Toby, for, for having me here. Great pleasure to speak on the podcast. Yeah, I'm Peter Grosskopf. I'm currently CTO at Börse Stuttgart Digital Exchange. Um, I somehow still find funny how I managed myself into financial service industry because um, when I studied information systems at the University of Münster back in the days, um, I uh, was more focusing on technical topics, so doing a lot of coding. Uh, the interest in coding brought me to Ruby on Rails in 2005 when, when I read the first book about it. Um, and um, so I started to work on small startup projects, started to work in a startup in Düsseldorf off in 2007 selling selling t-shirts online and uh, this turned into a small software development company that was focusing on building software with ruby on rails in, in an agile way which was back in the days so in 2008 uh, not that common that you were working with contractors also from the from the enterprise industry uh, and working in an agile and non-waterfall way so that uh, caused us a lot of discussion up front uh, to really work the way we did but um, in the end it, uh, it was a it was always a good idea um, after five years uh, doing that company i decided to move on and to, to do something new so i moved to berlin six years ago and joined the company builder so the company builder hitfox as a cto and hitfox was at that time focused on building ventures in the advertising industry so ad tech But a week before I joined the club, there was a decision made to found Finleap, which is nowadays the biggest company builder for fintech ventures. And um, so this uh, switch into financial service industry hit me uh, on, on that job so that I um, was building prototypes for, for new ventures with, uh, with my team. 
And it was, uh, for example, also Zavedo, Clark, and, and all these early fin deep ventures that we built. And um, doing working in this fintech environment and uh, also figuring out that it's uh, in many situations required to collaborate with banks and to have kind of joint projects. Um, and banks uh, are traditionally moving relatively slow um, due to uh, a lot of reasons. Then the decision was made to, to found a bank from scratch, which was Solaris Bank. And uh, I had the pleasure to join the project team in the very beginning. And I also joined on a permanent basis when it was a team of about like five to seven people. And we built up kind of this application process for getting a banking license at BaFin. And at the same time, we, we built up a tech step, a tech stack that we were able to to run our business after after nine months from kind of uh, the very start of the project. So we received the banking license in less than a year, and then one month later we were able to to go live with the with the banking system. So that was quite amazing. But still, it was also an amazing journey to see the company grow to through two hundred eighty people over three and a half years and um, serve a lot of clients um, as it was an API bank, so where other fintech companies were able to integrate. And um, at the time at Solaris Bank, I also got intrigued by the blockchain space because um, I wrapped my head around the fact how would banking look like in the decentralized world because banking traditionally is a very centralized service and um, and also a very unopen space to uh, let other parties or entities connect to it and um, while figuring that out and uh, building up a bit of uh, business also in the blockchain space at Solaris Bank I got in touch with the people from Börse Stuttgart and uh, so I, I like their approach because they have a big vision in um, also to digitize their full ecosystem of um, of trading topics um, and move it to to blockchain space and decentralization uh, so i joined one year ago and uh, yeah i'm pretty happy to now run a business also as an md again so i'm one of two mds but also responsible for for the technical topics and uh, building up the the company from scratch so if i understood it correctly first you you built the first german api first bank and now you building the first German API-first exchange. Is that correct? Or Yeah, so I wouldn't call it API-first now with, with BSDAX because we also provide a front-end for, for traders so that they can sign up with our platform and um, yeah, use us through an, uh, through, an, um, through an UI or through a user interface. But um, yeah, so with Solaris Bank, it was the, the, it was the first API-based bank um, in, in Germany, and uh, especially, especially focused or built to be focused on serving fintech ventures in a B2B2X in business model. And um, yeah, so I, I, what I kind of find funny in, in, this, re in this regard is, um, so first I, you, you could call it like, I helped to, to start a bank and now I'm having to start an exchange. So it's, uh, I think um, this uh, at least makes sure that I cover um, the the majority of, of topics that you that you can deal with in financial service industry. So I guess you know a lot about regulations, right? Uh, throughout the, the years now? De definitely. But um, I must say that uh, regu the, the regulatory topic and also compliance topics kind of became one of my hobbies. 
also at the time at, at Solaris Bank, because um, when we when we built up the company uh, from the very beginning, I was thinking about like, how do I manage to build up a tech team that does not feel like working in a bank? So I wanted to create like a developer experience or like a developer life that is more like working in Spotify or SoundCloud and, um, and not like feeding in the, like, like working in the bank. And, uh, and usually compliance process, so like 4i principles and double checks, processes, um, and so on, stand a bit in the way of, of uh, coding principles like uh, continuous delivery and, and so on, where you kind of roll stuff out um, and you see what is the impact and then you roll back just in case. So this, um, this industry doesn't work like that. And um, I read a lot of books about compliance and uh, I really dig deep to understand what's the requirement. And then I started to formulate uh, kind of processes and ways of working to deal with it. And uh, I think in the end, we, we managed pretty well at Solaris Bank so that um, developers feel like working in a tech company. But that's also some knowledge that I now can also use with my with my new uh, with my new company here. So we were able to to set up a lot of processes and procedures in a very quick way um, because uh, I already did it before. I think it's like um, a dream of the typical guy working in IT in a bank to start from scratch, right? Um, I think that's also worth a lot um, if you don't have any legacy as a bank um, and and can just just start from scratch, just begin begin something new. Yes, it's about starting from scratch. That's probably the the one aspect, but also to to break with some of the maybe of the theories that have been there for 20 years. Because um, I, I remember one one discussion in um, at the very beginning of, of Solaris when uh, I talked to my kind of boss, um, so kind of the representative in the in the managing board uh, responsible for tech, um, and we were talking about data centers. And um, so he said, like, hey, in, in the banks I, I worked before, we had this. Uh, Uh, like uh, this uh, double sync data center with uh, multiple locations and so on. And we um, build up an infrastructure like that to be available all the time. And um, then I said, hey, that's interesting um, that banks have that requirement to be available all the time. So for sure. Um, but look at companies like Spotify. So they don't have regulation and they are not forced to be online all the time, but they do it because it's, uh, it's the impact because or it would have a negative impact on the, on the customer experience. So, and um, now I then told them, Hey, so let's see, or let's look at what they're doing to, to be available all the time. And they do it in a different way. And uh, then I started to, to port these ideas to the, to the banking space. And in the end, it's not about like, there's written somewhere that you need to have two data centers. That's not the requirement. The requirement is to be online uh, all the time and available uh, so that people can uh, get out their money and so on. And you can, you usually in technology have five ways or even more to make sure that this requirement is fulfilled. And, um, and I think in the end, working in financial service industry is, is always about dealing with these different paradigms that are coming from from the from the past and translating them to the ways you would do it today and i think then you usually will always um, find a way to to compromise or find a, the right trade-off to to use new technology and new approaches 
and uh, at the same time fulfill the requirements that are put towards you. So see, take a look at the maximum possible, I guess, right? Um, so I, I guess you can't like easily host in every public cloud. Um, is that correct? Or Yeah, but even that one is, is moving. Um, so we've, we've been part of the first discussions between kind of a group of financial service providers um, with, uh, with BaFin and also with some of the cloud providers, so like AWS, um, and um, talking about kind of group audits and what requirements um, should be should be um, should be uh, should be put up um, to to make group audits possible because in banking industry um, you um, for example need to make sure that the that the auditors can inspect the data centers and um, you you can imagine that it's not something that AWS and Google take easily because it's uh, highly uh, highly secure rooms and um, and so it's so usually they wouldn't let anybody in there um, also to make sure that their security is right and um, if 1000 banks want to walk in into the data center and make an inspection once a year it would mean that they would have three inspections every day and that's of course not capable and um, so in the end the industry so the some financial service industry plus the cloud industry plus the regulators found ways to manage also with such topics and therefore a couple of banks are moving in the in the cloud these days and also and also other financial service companies are moving into the cloud and uh, also so so do we so we uh, go with a hybrid setup at the moment so we make use of the data centers of Börse Stuttgart at the moment for our main traffic and um, we for example build up our data platform on AWS but also we are willing to move more and more service to to um, to the cloud because we see big benefits in it what what could i actually trade through versus stuttgart digital exchange um so the, the the big picture is that we want to become europe's biggest exchange for digital assets so what are digital assets in, in the beginning so um for for us at the moment it's bitcoin so you're able to trade bitcoin against zero on on bsdx and um in the let's say in the uh, very near future um, you will be also able to trade further cryptocurrencies on our platform so like ether and um, and ripple and um so the so that's kind of the the first step for us so we we launched with bitcoin because we um, we're developing our own trading technology so we're not built on top of um, any third-party solution so it's kind of we have the full ownership in our code and we build the the matching engine and the order processing and so on completely on our own so therefore we wanted to start with a yeah kind of as mvp as you can be in, in, in with such a service um and uh, also to to see that everything is working correctly and um, now we roll out to to more currencies and um, on the long run we um, want to drive forward the this um, like this whole sector that's now built in in the blockchain spaces at least for the last two years where uh, people are looking into the creation of new kind of financial instruments so for example um, because you you can tokenize or digitize with blockchain almost anything that you can own or where you can have a usage right so like a, like a license 
And um, for example, you can own a car, you can own a share in a company, you can have, you can own some sort of uh, derivative uh, financial instrument. Um, you can have a flight ticket uh, that you can sell. So you can have a also a fractional ownership in a piece of art. So for example, you can own like uh, like a fraction of a Picasso painting or a fraction of a real estate um, apartment in Rio de Janeiro. And um, that's the that's the beauty of the of the technology that um, these also these standards to create these new kind of financial instruments um, are to the public and um, they're open. So um, issuers around the globe are able to to create those assets. Um, but especially for, for assets that are legally seen as securities, so Wertpapiere in, in Germany, um, you need to have a, or there's like a special set of regulation applied. And um, with the with the setup that that we have also with um, with Baden-Württembergische Wertpapierbörse GmbH, which is the Träger Gesellschaft of um, the the public stock exchange of um, of uh, of Stuttgart, um, we can provide uh, in the future a setup where people can can trade um, such uh, such new financial instruments on on BSDAX. Okay, uh, so in long term, it's possible that you that it's also for stock trading, that it's basically for trading real estate and so on. If I understand correctly, or but I guess that's not your scope, right? Uh, especially not real estate, but yeah. So it's, um, in the end, um, we won't uh, we won't be the the platform that does this tokenization because in the end, it's there are already now um, quite a quite a number of companies specializing on creating those tokens and financial instruments, uh, but they get listed somewhere so that that um, you create a liquid market because you can you can imagine so if you have for example some some startup uh, startup um, stocks or um, or shares um, usually they're they're not traded in a in a liquid market so they're the financing rounds and uh, then probably there's a secondary and you can sell some of your shares but in the end it's it's not a real liquid market and um, you could imagine that um, in the future you can do like an like an equivalent to an IPO on the on the blockchain so you can make such shares available to the to the public like the IC, ICOs that were that were uh, being done like two years ago uh. yeah the, um, the the ICO is um, so I tried to avoid the name because it's uh, <laughs> I think it's a bit burned um, it's a bit burned because um, I think people were overly fascinated over the technology and were not thinking about what they tokenized and uh, and in the end um in the ico phase three years ago there was a lot of stuff tokenized which doesn't have a real intrinsic value um for example utility tokens so like kind of usage rights for whatever platform but um, when it comes to tokenization of uh, real estate and um, company shares and, and so on there's there's some value behind it and um, and in the end um, i also see and, and this would also be a bit the democratization for the financial markets when people are able to also like if my mother would be able to to buy some shares in a 
let's say mature startup uh, but only put like 50 euro in it and maybe it makes the 5x maybe she loses the money completely but at the moment she wouldn't have the the access to that uh, to that market and um, and in the end um, with uh, a technology like like blockchain and, and tokenization you could build such markets and that's yeah. what we're aiming for to kind of be the place where people can sign up and um, where they see something new to invest in and um, then you would find it on the platform okay and did you get your mom to sign up well i didn't treat her uh, for now <laughs> to, to do that actually <laughs> i i should do it my uh, my um, my sister and um, her uh, husband is is uh, registered uh, for sure but yeah so in the end um, i think also with with all Uh, with all instruments that have a high volatility, I think it's um, people should also know a bit what they're doing. And um, I don't want to treat my mother like, hey, um, you're only a good mother when you trade on our platform. That would be definitely uh, that, that would definitely be unfair. Uh, but I also don't uh, don't want to be responsible when uh, she maybe makes like 10% minus on a day and uh, is then uh, angry on, on, on me. Yeah, there's always a, a, a risk with a child. Right. So if I re remember that time correctly, then I, I, I sat in a restaurant once um, and the, the waiter was approaching me and said, my friend, should I trade Bitcoin or not? <laughs> I think uh, that pretty much re reflects um, yeah, uh, how, it, how it felt at that time. Right. Um, yeah. And this, uh, this, uh, this stuff has like a high risk return profile. And it would usually, uh, in uh, traditional financial services, be treated as a very risky investment class. And um, at the moment, um, at the moment, um, so well, when you go through the sign-up process at BSDEX, we um, have a lot of information and check marks so that, that people reflect what they're doing. But obviously, there are a lot of exchanges and, and players in the market who, who don't do that. And, yeah. uh, and therefore, it still has a bit of a, of a wild west. But um, the, also, the, the hope that, that comes with um, a platform like us and a lot of people in the industry, especially in Germany, put a lot of hope into our platform because um, with the name of, of Börse Stuttgart in it and uh, a tradition of 150 years of um, managing Uh, trading venues and um, we also have um, some of, um, of of the colleagues in, in our team who are with Börse Stuttgart since more than 20 years um, and they are providing us with very deep knowledge on uh, trading topics and um, how to organize markets and uh, how to really create fair markets and so on and this knowledge gets implemented into technology And I think this is a this is a huge benefit because um, if you browse Wikipedia articles on on trading topics, you will find a few information, but the whole topic is so much deeper, and you wouldn't find any documentation on it because it's just collected over the years by by some people, and therefore it's it's super valuable to have them on board. So you basically are are adopting a very complex topic which has been a wild west and uh, with traditional experience uh, hundreds of years um, of, of 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 trading uh, you you bring it to a, to, a, to an understandable and also um, serious uh, kind of kind of nature right yeah and uh, for, for example to make it a bit practical um, we are making use of the market supervision which is um, which is a 
Team ähm, at äh, Baden-Württembergische Wertpapierbörse GmbH. And um, these um, people kind of watch or supervise the, the, the markets um, also in, in the traditional world. Um, and um, we Or they also implemented us on or our data feeds on their platform. So they are kind of like an external party watching us that uh, that all trades that are happening on the platform, that they are really right and uh, that there's uh, no illegal activity and so on and so forth. So we kind of we kind of uh, bring bring this to this uh, to this new sector. There's one sentence um, I, I always keep on my mind. Value is perception. And um, if you really think about it, I mean, how, why do you believe in money? Why do you believe that your bank account is correct, uh, that the sum in your bank account is correct and so on? Um, I think like, you, can, you can really have philosophical discussions uh, for, for ages uh, around that sentence, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, uh, and in the end, um, so these, uh, I think these, um, it's, it's a bit comparable with also what we do with um, what I had mentioned a bit before on this topic, like making compliant or making this compliance as code um, at Solaris. So kind of translating compliance rules into technical processes that don't break the way you work. Because um, for for the start of, of BSDEX, it was super important to come come up with a with a market model that um, so which which is kind of the rule book how trades are are matched and so on, and um, so we we came up with a with a concept also to have volatility interruptions, which is also kind of a mechanism so like a circuit breaker in, in tech when um, there's unusual activity so that we can also halt trading um, start an auction so which is which is also like a uh, like another way of um, of uh, fi finding a price um, especially also when uh, in, in a volatile market or in a, in a illiquid market and um, so we have this these mechanisms um, that we that we build up also to to protect the users and um, to to actually also provide a great product to the to the users and customers and uh, that wouldn't be possible if we wouldn't um, have this uh, this full support by all these knowledgeable people from um, from Börse Stuttgart Baden-Württembergische Wertpapierbörse Eurax and all these companies that are connected to to Börse Stuttgart because um, this makes it a really unique product okay and uh, to be a bit more concrete as we um, uh, want to talk about tech um, so how does that look like? So how does your, your stack look like? What do you use? Are you still on Ruby on Rails um, or how does it look today and how does it look in a bank? Um, how can I imagine that? Yeah, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm still on Ruby on Rails, exactly, um, but uh, only for specific, for specific parts. And um, in the end, uh, I think there's, and I think you, you will agree that in technology there are these, uh, let's say, standard problems um, where you would find uh, seven different tools and it's really you really can't you don't need to care about what tool you use because it will solve the problem in almost the same way and uh, when it's about uh, building for example a web application uh, just very simple with a very simple architecture and uh, kind of like in a database style you will find for any common programming language you will find frameworks so like ruby on rails and uh, you, you will find these these frameworks for each language and um, 
then you will use what what you're used to and uh, where you have a lot of experience. And uh, for me, it's uh, it's Ruby and Ruby on Rails uh, where I I feel best. Um, I would personally, so I'm, I'm not a radical on programming languages, so I would be open also for, for other frameworks. But in the end, um, you build up a team from scratch, you attract people that you know from the past. And uh, so you already worked with Ruby on Rails together. And then this kind of becomes like an implicit uh, this, um, decision. And uh, we use Ruby on Rails for our admin interfaces and um, to provide to provide uh, the API to uh, to the users uh, or to the user front end. Um, the front end is built in React JS, so also pretty common approach these days. Um, and um, as we need to transfer a lot of information in the user interface, because imagine it's a it's a um, yeah, it's a trading interface. So you have different order books. Um, you have a multitude of orders. Um, there are uh, hundreds of users connected to that uh, to that front end, and uh, they are posting orders. They are deleting orders. So there's um, kind of a lot of information getting in. And then additionally, there's the market maker who always posts orders, uh, removes orders to to keep the to keep the market running, so that there are also matches between the orders. Um, so this is. Um, it's a, therefore, React is a, is a good tool to make such a or to produce such a, a very interactive front end um, with a lot of kind of insertions, deletions uh, in, in, the, in the DOM model. And um, the communication with the backend is through WebSockets because, of course, the information needs to flow like almost, uh, almost real time. And um, the, let's say the very performance-driven back-end parts, so which is the, we could be called it the trading engine, but it's um, in the end consisted of um, the different order box books. So for example, Bitcoin Euro, um, where you will find all the orders um, and then all the logic behind so that orders get matched um, after specific rules. This uh, These components are written in Golang um, as um, this needs to be super performant and uh, also has uh, a lot of uh, engineering um, engineering uh, problems inside uh, that I can also explain in a minute. And um, yeah, so that's and that's kind of the part where, where we said like, okay, so let's be a little bit more specific on the programming language because um, with uh, Ruby, um, it wouldn't work out that well because Ruby is not uh, is also not fast enough on uh, on those purposes um, but with uh, Golang and Ruby we have a we feel pretty comfortable to have a um, also to have a to have a language stack um, which kind of adds up to each other because kind of the one language can also serve some 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 uh, some value that the other language can serve Thanks a lot to our sponsor, the About You Cloud. The About You Cloud offers a full-stack e-commerce solution as a service that runs on exactly the same infrastructure as About You does. It is mobile-first, can act as headless system, event-driven, can be fully localized and is super integratable into existing solutions. Besides that, it is designed and developed by a really smart CTO and friend of mine, Sebastian Betts, who also did the first AlphaList podcast with me. About You has set up a task force for retailers and brands that want to be quick in the COVID situation. This task force will help you with the launch of your shop as well as with fulfillment, marketing, support and internationalization. Simply write to hello at aboutyou.com to be supported by this task force. Don't you have the feeling that as of today, um, 
it's uh, you mentioned that you attract people you know for a while, uh, attract them as developers. Um, do they f still feel comfortable with with Ruby and Rails? I also like would always pick that approach because of packages like Active Admin, for example, to like generate an admin interface and so on is really important. Um, but sometimes you realize that also those common problems really take ages um, if you if you do them in an old school way. And sometimes there are things that uh, like can are there to accomplish them faster. Like like for example tools like like internal IO or Airtable and stuff like that, like the modern no-code tools. Um, doesn't make sense to still build something on, on a framework which is not, um, I would say, the most attractive one as of today? Um, I think it really depends on the on the problem that you w want to solve with that technology. And in the end, there's, um, from my perspective, always more uh, problems than only the, let's say, the, the technical requirements because uh, it's also about uh, finding developers um, moving fast in the beginning and so on kind of mm -hmm. build some sort of mvp um, and know that the, the word mvp is kind of overused and uh, in the end uh, a very bad term from my perspective but um, i see the term mvp still like in the traditional sense as it uh, as it was meant also like in dean startup that it's the um, minimum viable product and um, in, in technology it's uh, very difficult to find out which is what is viable yeah i um, just before we started the, the the recording session here i had a had a discussion um, with um, with some some people from from our tech team and it was about the introduction of a of a message broker so probably most of the listeners uh, found themselves in discussions like you you have like a first the first architecture and um, so our first architecture was uh, very HTTP HTTP driven it's very simple and um, very uh, yeah so we uh, very domain driven um, and therefore um, it's very scalable at the moment uh, for for us. Um, but then there is the the one moment um, where you start the discussion on um, on the message broker, and and in these discussions I I always try to to manage to bring all the aspects on the on the table and then really really find out okay so what is what is viable and maybe first uh, in this situation we decided to to have like a internal MVP first um, so where we solve the problem um, that we have with um, like an isolated space um, with um, with, a, with a message broker and uh, then we will have a joint discussion how we will follow up if we on, especially also in which in which direction we're going to iterate because it uh, for me an mvp could also mean okay um, nice experiment but it uh, doesn't uh, fulfill the the results that we that we expected And um, and therefore we go back to zero and start something different. And I think or this, decide this, that we don't need a message broker at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I made a joke in a meeting that uh, that uh, I said like, um, oh, it took 38 minutes of talking that the word Kafka first time was mentioned. <laughs> um, so because in the end. Um, these discussions usually, usually um, they start very small, then they become very big, like in a very, like just like after a half an hour. And then you need to refocus again. Okay. What do we actually want to want to achieve? And uh, going back to, to Ruby. Um, so for me, it's like um, when I, when I start with a, with a product that has no 
no code yet, um, no users, no employees, um, and um, and no customers. Then um, I think I first need to get to the point where where I get uh, the, the this MVP status and where people start using it, and then I can find out where. The, the real complexity is and then find specific solutions for that. And um, kind of the the level of sight that we had when we started was um, that we knew that this um, this trading engine topic is super crucial for everything and incredibly expensive to have a rewrite, I don't know, a year later um, due to performance reasons. And therefore, we um, really focused on building a, a great system on, on that end. And in the end, uh, maybe to explain a bit what the what the difficulty with a with a trading system is it's um you have different orders these orders need to get matched by specific specific rules so like a like a rule engine and um you um will have um it's 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 sorted and uh, you um, might have also double orders and then kind of the oldest one um, the oldest one needs to to get fulfilled first so which means um you have like a like a data structure that um has some hierarchy and you need to have uh, very quick insertions and deletions in there because um a user might make an order and delete it right after or you have a trading bot that just like creates orders depending on how the market moves and uh, and how the spreads are and um and this is um this is a even if you have only two users on the platform um, and one market maker it's already a platform that has a quite decent amount of complexity because you need to deal with that data structure and um so when we when we started um i i was uh, very happy that um that i had that uh, that friend um i worked with also a couple of times who is very deep in, in trading um, and but also very deep in, in tech topics and uh, we we started this this discussion how we can can build the system up and um, in the end so he of course went like three levels deeper than me but uh, then he came up with like uh, red black trees and um, he kind of found um, the the data structure that would treat with our uh, would treat our challenge best the best way um, and implemented it in golang and um and the second aspect of the trading engine is that um it needs to be 100% consistent yeah so it's uh, it's um, you can of course keep data in memory but if a trade happens it of course has a financial aspect and also there's some kind of ownership in an asset moving from one person to the other so you can't be eventually consistent on on such a topic and um therefore we um took that approach to start with a very very well thought of data structure um, on the one hand to to uh, to handle this uh, this high load um, and on the other side we decided to go for for postgres database in the beginning because um, at the moment um, yeah databases still treat especially this aspect of consistency um, in, in the right way Mm. And um, and with that approach, even knowing like um, so, I know where discussions also go with engineers. It's like oh, there's a database, so there there will be a bottleneck. I can guarantee you, yes, of course. But we we did performance testing on it um, quite intensively because of course we want, also wanted to prove um, to um, to the different stakeholders and license holders and and so on that the approach that we choose is really working and we kind of 
took the order, the public order book of um, of the big exchanges in the world, and uh, fired these requests on our trading engine, and it's uh, it's holding it. Yeah, so so we are we are able to manage a lot of requests, and still know where we could do some more optimization and so on. And I think. This was a this was a very very good approach because um, I think we didn't take any compromise on um, on the trading engine side. Um, the React frontend is uh, pretty well thought of, also with this WebSocket communication um, and um, kind of the connection to the backend. And if there would be the let's say the, the problem that we would need to exchange the the backends for the for the frontends to another language, well. So now, like one year later, um, uh, also after after being live and uh, having built some engineering team within the within the last time, um, I would say like okay, it would also be possible to switch the, the backend for the front end and the database away from Postgres to some other modern or more modern database. Or would you would you say that it's uh, that, that it all works and will work in the future? Um, so, uh, as, as mentioned, we we did these performance tests, and um, we're with this with this construction. So, of course, with uh, some in-memory uh, caching um, for um, for the for the trading engine, um, we're able to handle a lot of requests and trades. So, it's um, probably carrying us for a long time. And um, but I think the the more important fact is that you, especially when you have a theory where a potential bottleneck can appear that you have the right measures and tools to to really measure it from the very beginning because um, i also like to use it as a as a way to to deal in discussions because um obviously um uh, engineers also like to try out new stuff and uh, probably the more uh, more modern uh, database is more interesting um, or more appealing like something like something old like postgres but um, we really want to make sure that we that we take these decisions on uh, like on a data basis yeah so um, that we uh, don't say like oh this is nice or this is cool and um, so therefore let's try it out so it re really needs to serve a purpose and and therefore um, we uh, yeah <laughs> stick to this uh, approach with the postgres database and it's uh, working perfectly for us having such a such a such an old um technology like like postgres um also means that you have a very very stable system and uh, two years ago no five years ago um when whenever that that uh, no sequel hype started you also quickly realized okay that's not not like the The, the the end of, of MySQL and Postgres. Um, so at least from my perspective, and, and I think now it kind of leveled against each other. Um, and uh, you would, again, as of today, potentially pick a, a normal SQL database, right? Yeah, and uh, something like Postgres gives you a lot of guarantees. And, um, and that's super important for us. And uh, because yeah, you can imagine if we settle a trade the wrong way, That has a huge impact. It has a financial impact to to a customer, um, and um, and this uh, would also be something uh, that uh, that would catch the interest of the of the regulator as well. And um, and therefore we um, don't want to experiment with something um, that we 
that we optimize prematurely. Yeah, so you you could also uh, create uh, full consistency with with other technology, or I don't know, you could even configure a Kafka that way. I don't know. Yeah, but it's it would be a a high engineering uh, task or like a big engineering task, and you would need to put five people on on that topic um, instead of just solving it right away and then see where we go. Mm -hmm. um, and, and because there's uh, probably also that other dimension for the, for the for the trading engine side, because the way we we build it right now, it's um, so kind of in the terminology of um, of exchanges, it's a centralized exchange. So there's kind of um, there's the there's the blockchain um, where the assets are stored, and there's a layer on top which is built by us uh, where we do the we call it the bookkeeping, um, but it's kind of the Bestandsführung, what user owns how many bitcoins um so we built that layer on top so kind of the accounting layer and um, the trades are performed between so like on this accounting on this accounting layer so therefore we are able to settle trades faster than the bitcoin blockchain for example can can write blocks because bitcoin blockchain writes like around eight to ten minutes um and um, therefore so we we are able to settle much faster so that's the approach for today. So where would be tomorrow? Yes, and um, tomorrow I'm pretty I'm pretty convinced, and uh, this also attracts my technology uh, enthusiasm a lot. Because in the future, I'm pretty sure that exchanges will be decentralized, um, and and uh, technology-wise, it's already possible. So there uh, there are exchanges. Um, who are dealing with um, with tokens uh, where you can buy tokens on a on a decentralized exchange, and that's that's really fascinating because um, this would also bring us much closer to this kind of like having the highest compliance in code that is possible because there would be a piece of software that's accepting orders, uh, matching it um, with a specific rule set, and then making the settlement on the blockchain. And um, at the moment, the, the blockchains are too diverse um, because there are different implementations and uh, also with different paradigms and so on. And um, and also the performance of um, of some of the blockchains is lacking. Obviously, there's, uh, of course, uh, regulatory aspects and so on that uh, would prevent uh, decentralized exchanges right now. But um, I think that everything will move there within the next 5, 10, 15 years, probably. And um, therefore, yeah, so we also um, need to then find the, the right, right point in time in the future when we're going to switch to a more decentralized approach. Okay, but do you still need Börse Stuttgart if you have a decentralized exchange? Or does Börse Stuttgart then produce like some piece of code that you can download and use? Or how, how does that work then? Um, I mean, where do, you, where do you earn money then? Um, so I, I think, in, um, especially when it's when it comes to to, to fintech and and trading and uh, and the regulatory side of it, that um, kind of technology opens a new way of doing something, and um, and then the regulation needs to pick up. Yeah? Um, so remember, that, like the times when there were only banks and no fintechs, so nobody thought about like uh, how what kind of licenses do I need to do specific service and so on, because it was more thought from the from the banking perspective. And nowadays, there's these tiny startups doing some lending topics, some investment topics, um, like Trade Republic and and so on, and. Um, yeah. So, and therefore, and now everybody's discussing. Okay, how should 
the European Union provide like a fintech framework that makes it easier for financial service company to start. And I think the same will happen in the trading space. And, um, and there we're kind of in the very beginning. So there's so we've even or we've been part of the um, of a of a survey by the European Union where it was about um, how MTFs or like uh, trading facilities exchanges need to look like in the future. Um, and um, in the end, there's like a new technology approach there. It's not legal to use it right now, especially not in Germany. But kind of, I think the next step is that the regulation will move a bit, then there will be a tiny part of technology more possible. And then it's like a zigzag approach that uh, a few years later, um, we will have these new approaches online and uh, also in use. And kind of what the, what the role of the, of the different players will be, that's uh, very hard to guess. But I think, um, because you specifically asked for versus Stuttgart, I think they still will be there and have some some relevance because uh, we are now moving with a couple of project in, in projects in that space and um, and our intention is to stay relevant in the future and therefore we're doing it. But the future will be less about glossy bank buildings then I guess. Um, I think so. And also due to Corona now everybody working from home. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but back to you. Um, so would you consider yourself the best engineer in your company? No, definitely not. And, and also because I, I would, I think I would, I would be the bottleneck for everything. Yeah. So because um, in the end, uh, I, yeah, I also follow, follow the approach, like hiring better people than me, because then I can focus on a different topic. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's like, um, so I, I always compare building up a company and a team like, like a cell splitting yeah um so there's um, there's first there's one cell then there's two cells then there's three four five and then you start to replicate and um, in the end in the beginning you do something you hire the next person then you split your work and then they split their work and um, i think then i think this I, I use this metaphor quite often to um to explain what is happening in small teams that start up something from from the scratch and um, and for me it means um so I, I get somebody um, very uh, like a very seasoned engineer into the company to hand over a lot of my thoughts and having somebody and your, who's and taking your initial rates code right <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I really I really uh, I'm really keeping hands off yeah so because um, I, I learned in, in my first company that I founded because um, there, there was that there was that. There was that one point in time when I realized that people were only waiting for me. It's like, hey, Peter, can you do finish your task and then uh, we can deploy? And so if you're, if you're a managing director and if you have um, other topics to coordinate, um, it's from, from my point of view, it's very stupid if you also produce a lot. Because um, in the end, um, my, my job is to delegate and um, to do delegate to the right things yeah, so that um, we uh, don't waste time on stupid um, engineering discussions, that we spend it on the right uh, things, that we don't over-engineer, that we still have uh, a lot of foresight kind of like where we're heading and um, that we have a, have a strategy also for, for our architecture and so on. And um, to keep the quality high uh, to 
not only focused on quality because there's also always this uh, this trade-off between quality and quantity which means like quality in code versus um releasing new features to the user so you also need to keep that trade-off going so kind of for for both sides actually and um so due to this uh, fact that uh, that i can code and that i have a lot of knowledge and technology but at the same time i'm also nowadays the business guy and being responsible to to run the business that brings me in this uh, from my point of view in this very lucky situation that um, i can manage both sides and um, so as far as i digested from from my from my engineers and and other employees i think everybody is, is very happy at the moment because um, we have for a company which is kind of formally uh, founded one year ago um, and the project is now going for one and a half years um, for a company of that age we have a very high quality and I'm, I'm i'm like when i come to the office or when i start working and um, and when i have discussions with engineers and when we're talking about specific topics i'm always a bit <laughs> i have a bit of shiver on my skin um, because so we we have, we have built so many things in such a good and reliable way um, and still we were moving fast and uh, and uh, bringing a very complex also legally complex product to the market in a very, very short amount of time so that makes me very proud how autonomous is your team then i guess i, I understood that you're quite autonomous and that you are rather hands-off um, in your daily work um, but it also sounds like you have some core technologies that um, you also um, decided to have um, and you stick on to. You don't like not, not everyone is using his own programming language. How does it look like in your team? Um, yeah, so the teams are, um, are built in an autonomous way. So at the moment, we have um, three teams that deal with tech topics um, and plus one, let's call it virtual team. Um, and um, kind of maybe start with the virtual team because this is kind of like a cross-functional team that uh, that appeared while uh, working on our data platform so i mentioned in the very beginning of the podcast that we uh, that we put uh, that we built our data platform with aws and um, in the end um so the, the the first use cases we resurfaced it is to help the marketeers and the, the marketing and business, business development people to to get the right reports but also getting it in a way that it's uh, that um, that uh, bi is not standing in your way um all the time because i've seen it in the in the past that that uh um bi kind of starts from um hey give me access to the database tables and then they do funky sql statements and then there's some some reporting tool and uh, half a year later it slows down the whole engineering because there are these strong dependencies and uh, the data is wrong and, and so on. So I've seen I've seen interesting interesting things in different companies, and um, so we started it again like in a with an engineering approach from the scratch. So um, having proper roles so that the, that the teams are the producers. Um, they they publish the data in specific formats, and these data sets can be consumed by by consumers on uh, on AWS. Um, And so we're working kind of in a cross-functional team on developing features on it because um, it's, uh, it's driven by the by the marketeers and, and business people, and kind of the engineers are working on it part time. So the and the and the um, the main teams are the two teams that are working on the 
uh, on the on the product so the the platform um uh, the trading platform and it's um it's a team that serves the front end so um, the, the trading application and then there's the team that handles the this trading engine that i explained a little bit before and we have a we have a platform team um maybe a few words to the to the platform team um usually i'm, I'm a bit fa big fan of this uh, google sre approach so having DevOps people or uh, operations engineers within the development teams and kind of collaborating with them very closely. Um, we had to build here uh, kind of a, an independent team for that because we um, built up the initial tech stack in the data center of, of Börse Stuttgart um, and uh, to, to come up with, with a Kubernetes setup and make it work and so on was a huge effort to build that foundation for, for the team so that they're able to roll out and so on. And um, therefore, it deserved an, an own team. On the long run, I will see also these, these people migrating into the, into the development teams because... Um, also, our, our platform now has a pretty high stability and uh, works pretty well. Um, therefore, um, we can more focus on the on the development topics. Yeah. And um, but regarding the, the way of working, because that's what was the the original question. <laughs> um, so yeah, so the, so the so for me, it's very important that that the teams are um, independent and also can work in an autonomous way. Because um, in the end, they focus on on their work the whole day, and I can only be present like in one or two meetings every week, and so I only get a get a share of the information. And um, therefore, I believe that somebody who's investing more time with a specific topic will know much more about it than me. So that's that's the that's the first the first aspect. And when it comes to Kind of opinions that I that I have, um, and probably also experience that I made, and when I want to share them, um, I use uh, touch points with um, with different teams, also with the product side, but also with the engineers, to to have conversations um, where we're heading, uh, what are we currently doing, and then I'm bringing in my my expertise and also my opinion um, to, to make sure that we're doing the right things. But. You still try to keep your stack lean. That's what I what I also meant. Um, like you try to not have like a zoo of languages, not have a zoo of databases, and so on. Um, as yeah, far as I exactly. Understood. Okay. Yeah. So so it's um, so we we will stay in this Ruby, JavaScript, GoLang um, stack, and um, I'm pretty sure that we can cover everything with that stack. Okay. Cool. Um, and like uh, coming a bit to the to the. Um, my favorite questions um as we already spent like quite a lot of time do you have a, a a tool you really love right now so something new something shiny you just discovered you want to share um yes um and in the, in the past um also in, in engineering or when building up companies um there was always this question around uh, content management systems and um so kind of there there the people are oh, come on let's uh, quickly set up a wordpress and then the problem is solved and uh, i'm not not a wordpress fan at all maybe treating it wrongly uh, that way but uh, these days but um, kind of this uh, remained in my head uh, quite a lot and also building something custom with ruby on rails i also don't think that it's the that it's the right approach um and um 
So a couple of years back, I discovered that uh, approach um, having like a headless CMS system like Contentful and connecting it with a static site generator. Um, and um, we are now doing it since, so I, I did it before also at Solaris Bank, and we're now also doing it at Börse Stuttgart Digital Exchange. And I think this is a very beautiful setup because on the one hand, you still have a lot of flexibility when it comes to um, creating subpages and so on and making it more complicated and so on. Um, and, um, and the editors are able to, to insert the, um, the content and so on. That's, uh, that's very easy. Um, but you're also able to, to move the content very quickly to a, to a different technology platform, or it's even possible to reuse view components between the website and uh, the applications behind. And, um, yeah, so that's so, kind of, uh, that makes me, that makes me happy every day. So you're, you're using Contentful with some sort of like Gatsby or Nuxt or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. And, um, if you weren't like now solving, like with trading, solving a big problem and big technical challenge, which, which problem of. Uh, mankind and humanity you would like to use with your tech superpowers these days if you weren't solving trading um yeah so i i back in the days um i think it was in 2007 i wrote my my master's uh, master's thesis um and um At that, at the time, there were discussions in, in the in the web community on uh, so the so-called social network portability, um, which meant in these days there were all these uh, social networks coming up like Facebook and LinkedIn and so on, and um, they were eating your data and you were entering a lot of data there, um, but you were also adding friends on multiple platforms many times and so on. So a lot of back and forth, and um, I created a, like a concept where the user can take over the governance for his or her data and make it available to the platform. So kind of to, to, um, to uh, kind of uh, shift the approach like from the one side to the other. And uh, this now um, a couple of years later, um, seeing decentralized systems like blockchains and also a lot of identity projects, um, plus um, the beloved GDPR um, also includes the the right for data portability. And um, so I I could imagine that um, I would use my superpowers to, to bring that concept that I theoretically created for um, for my master thesis to, to bring it to life um, because I would see a lot of a lot of value for um, yeah for for people um, who are using the internet and also um, seeing what not, what happens in some other uh, big and relevant industry states um, with um, censorship and uh, also yeah really making misuse of um, of data um, that would probably be the right point in time due to also the technology which is there internet connection speed and so on and so forth to to make the world more decentralized to be really uh, also tamper proof for like anything which might come uh, from from politics in the future so to put it in in my short words so if you weren't solving um, trading then 
you would build a social network and uh, attack Facebook um, and attack LinkedIn. <laughs> Just joking. Um, so very nice talking to you, Peter. Thanks a lot for, for, for being here um, and spending time with me. We could have talked for hours, I guess. Um, but uh, for a podcast, I think 45 minutes uh, to 60 minutes are the best time. <laughs> so um, let's now end the discussion and, and um, like meet again uh, and maybe discuss a little deeper um, on, on banking then um, and, and, and fintech then. Um, really a pleasure to have you here and um, looking forward to further discussions. Thanks a lot. Yes, thank you. Bye bye. Bye. Thanks again to our sponsors, Fastly and the About You Cloud. If you want to get first-class support by Fastly, just go to fastly.com slash alphalist. And if you want to launch your shop and get first-class support by About You, just write an email to hello at aboutyou.com to be supported by their task force.